Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hi, Holly. Hi, Bill. How are you? Well, I am um, I'm experiencing some oddity because I talked without you last Sunday, and I'm going to teach without you again this Sunday. And I think we've talked together every week for 15 months with maybe one exception. Yeah. And uh, somebody told me, somebody that we both love very much, said to me privately, um, in a in a meeting, said, "You know, you and Holly really de- developed a rhythm, and I think that's true. And yeah. so, uh, you were you were not able to come and teach Sunday because this coming Sunday, because last Sunday. Well, last Sunday, um, my youngest son had tested positive for COVID, like mon- the Monday before Sunday, so." A week before he woke up with a slight fever and we were going to go, I think I told you to the Nueces River for his birthday. Poor kiddo got a positive COVID test the day before his birthday. Uh, We didn't go to the Nueces River. We all immediately said, well, we're all going to quarantine. We're all going to act. We've all been exposed. And we all assumed that we might have a positive test. And as it turns out, Josh and I also have a positive test. Um, and we're both Did vaccinated. Josh test positive too? Yeah. This was, uh, our symptoms are mild. It feels like allergies or a summer cold. But, um, you know, we've, have, I just said we've both been vaccinated. And prior to this, the CDC had been saying that breakthrough cases are extremely rare. I'm learning that they're not so rare. I've got at least four friends in my kind of immediate circle who have said, oh, I've had a breakthrough case. Oh, I've had a breakthrough case. And I know two other people who have. So I, um, for me, Bill, this is quite a reminder um, and kind of humbling to go, oh gosh, even though I have had a vaccine, I need to mask again <laughs> and, mm-hmm you know, we're we're in a position right now where our kids are going back to school in the fall with almost zero precautions in place. Um, There's no virtual option if a kid does get sick. There's no mask requirement because of Governor Abbott. Uh, The TEA, Texas Education Administration is um, tied to to state funding. And so all of the ISDs are bound to whatever, ultimately, whatever the governor says. And they Mm. can't, they can't do something different on their own, else they risk losing funding. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. just, you know, this is just crazy. So my kids are going, you know, they're too young to receive a vaccine. Um, there's no mask requirement. They're going to be eating lunch all together in a cafeteria, apparently. So it's, I feel we're in for a real roller coaster ride this year. And um, I, I want to kind of, assure anyone who's listening again, like I feel pretty good. I do have mild symptoms and I did get a positive test. And that is why I'm going to take another week and a half off. (laughs) Mm. And I'll also say that everything I've been pointed back to by my doctor and doctor friends 
is back to the CDC, which says um, isolate for 10 days um, as long as you are fever free, which I am, and your symptoms are improving, which they are, 10 days is a good amount of isolation. And that would put us right up to Sunday. <laughs> so we're going to go. One of the things that's scary about me, and I, I, I didn't bring this to read, and I left it at my house, so I, I don't have it. The, uh, the news magazine that I take uh, is called The Week. Mm, yeah, and uh, I love it when the editor Falk William Falk writes the little editorial blurb, and he did it in the most recent issue, and it was about exactly what we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. and that is that this this virus can um, get in a person's system and mutate and multiply and be expelled by air droplets, you know, that sort of thing, without the person ever being aware that they are a carrier. So you can, you can infect people that you're around. And, and unless you go to the trouble of being tested, if you have no symptoms, which many people can do, you don't know that you're a carrier. Yeah, that's right. So we're just kind of all acting like we are carriers right now. We know that three out of five of us are. Uh, The other two of my kids tested negative, which is great, but we're just assuming that we've all been exposed. And we can't isolate a kid in a house. You know, you can't go, oh, (laughs) here's some hot dogs and a couple, two liters of Coke. Have a good 10 days. We'll see you later. You know, you, as a mom and a dad, you still have to care for that little one. And Mm -hmm. So we knew right away when he tested positive that the likelihood of us being carriers was pretty high. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have texted everyone that we have seen in the last two weeks to tell them, hey, just letting you know, you know, we've had some breakthrough tests or cases over here. Um, And, you know, it feels like, well, I think it's the honest and um, kind of full of integrity thing to do. And, and I feel obliged, you know, I think I texted you right away, <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. but it feels a little bit like wearing a scarlet letter, like, oh my God, I don't want to be responsible for other people's exposure. You know? mm-hmm. So I think you and I are in agreement that uh, we're going to operate out of an abundance of caution. Ultimately, I will have not been in ordinary life for almost 21 days. So I think according to the CDC, that's plenty of time to not um, expose people. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll play it by ear. It did feel really, really weird to teach without you last Sunday, yeah. because as I said, we we established this rhythm and um, you offer things that um, don't occur to me. And so it just felt weird. Uh, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it, I guess. Well, you know, I, yeah. can, I can write some notes for you to read if you want. <laughs> I don't think that would be, I don't know. That there, I, I got that invitation from you, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I will tell you that um, it's going to take me a, a, a considerable amount of discipline to limit the number of classes we do on the parable of the prodigal son. Oh, it's such a rich prodigal. I mean, parable. it is just pro- so 
so many options for so many directions in which to go. But I'm also eager to go ahead and get into the big parable, which is the Gospel of John. But first, uh, to do this, and um, I know that you have some things to say about the prodigal daughter mm -hmm. and or prodigal female probably would be a better thing. Yeah. And about the mother who is implied. Yes. And, you know, it's so, it's made me think a lot about um, our perceptions of God or any religious story, deity, etc. are very much, of course, we anthropomorphize them. Of course, we want to see ourselves in them. And because for so long, the tellers of these stories or at least the ones who got edited in, so to speak, were male, then the anthropomorphic image is also male, right? And so the retelling, the revising that we need to do is to remind us of whose voices were not, were present, but not included. When you come back mm -hmm. the next Sunday, just be prepared to carry the major load okay okay <laughs> <laughs> anyway let me let me tell you a couple of things that um i have discovered this week just to um see what we can say about them um it's not that i don't think i knew these things before but i never really had focused on them i mentioned um three books on the parables that I rely on Sunday. Yeah. Brandon Scott book um, and, and a couple of other books, Capon's book and Snodgrass book. And, you know, they all say that this parable is about uh, death. Everybody dies, mm -hmm. in, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. And that this, this, the central message of this passage is about celebration. Yeah. And that the food mentioned in the parable, the fatted calf and the feasting, let's throw celebration, celebration being the, the central theme of the, the parable, is really a very feminine, mothering, nurturing thing. Mm -hmm. You know, mothers feed and nurture and sustain. Mm -hmm. And I just think that for, for most people, they've never looked at the parable through those particular sets of lens. It's always been about you are a bad person. You need to repent. You need to come home and be good. Yeah. Or as my mother would say, be sweet. <laughs> be sweet, William. <laughs> you know, so it's funny. I think, yeah. I, I, I think we are being given an opportunity to help people see the parable in a, in a much broader, better, different way. Well, even when we think of like the crux of the Christian story, which uh, we t tend to center less on the teachings of Jesus and more on the death and resurrection of Jesus as emblematic of our uh, salvation, right? Mm -hmm. but, but the psychological union analysis of it is, no, it's a, it's a death to the ego and a coming home to the true self, which is what right. the prodigal son is also. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it occurred to me, and we are both, um, holding passion and patience for getting through the prodigal son and into the gospel of John. But as I read about and read the actual gospel of John alongside this work, um, Jesus is a prodigal son. He leaves his mother and father, which 
at that time was the equivalent of saying, and he, in there are words that say, you are dead to me. These are my mm -hmm. brothers and sisters. My, my father is here. And um, so he too is trying to individuate, come into his true self, which would be this mystical teacher, right? Even mm -hmm. though his mother, I, I'm in that part of uh, John where his mother says to him, Jesus, we're running out of wine here. <laughs> yeah. And she's, he's like, mom, don't bother me about that. You know, it's, I just think it's so interesting because I'm mindful that Jesus too had a coming home. And we've so deified Jesus that we neglect his human parts, the human aspects that are so very alive in us too. You know, the book that I recommended strongly right after I first finished it by Bruce Chilton. Bruce Chilton is a member of the Jesus Seminar. He frequently appears on the History Channel and on the PBS around um, Christian holy days like Easter and Christmas. They'll interview these scholars and he's one of them. Chilton, based on um, the work of Crossan and a number of other people, another really highly respected historians say that very likely Jesus did his home leaving when he was 12 or 13. Yeah. 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 That, that, that the, that very likely he got joined to John, the character known as John the baptizer sometime in his uh, late, uh, in his adolescence mm -hmm. and that he spent years with John and, yeah. um, he became this intensely ritual um, Jewish mystic. And you have references to Jesus' behavior all through the Gospels as mm -hmm. being somebody who spent a lot of time in prayer. And, mm -hmm. you know, we don't know. We don't really know what the history yeah. was. But, yeah, he he left. And, and you know, I think about the... And this is the danger of trying to do this parable in four or five lessons because there's so much to do. But if you think about the metaphor of leaving home, it's where the Jewish faith starts. Yeah. Abraham got a call to leave home and he didn't know where he was going. And he got up and obeyed God, according to the story, and headed out. Yeah. And um, I think that in. 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 I'm now, now going to shift gears and speak as a union analyst, but in the first thing that has to happen is an, is an awareness that we have fallen away from our true self. That's another way of leaving home. And it's something that happens inevitably to everybody. And our hope is becoming aware of that and returning to the true self, which is not a one-time thing. Right. It's this widening spiral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that evidence is even in the very beginning of the Hebrew text of, in Genesis of Adam and Eve, um, the awakening I see as a, an awakening to the true self coming out of ignorance into knowing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, again, it's, it's just this turning from you are bad, wrong, sinful, and need saving to 
No, you were living under a cloud and now the light has been revealed mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. here you are. And you know, that I think that inevitable question is, well, how do you know when you found it? Meaning the true self. There's nothing to find, just something to be open to. It's already there. <laughs> it's really just creating that spaciousness to be open to it. And it's funny, I mean, I bet you have so much more depth to say about this than I do in part because of age, but at 45, when I think about the things that I had angst over even five years ago, mm -hmm. that today feel like, eh, let this too serve awakening, you know, that kind of feel like, oh, that was okay. You know, I just think it's so interesting that our perspective as we look back shifts mm -hmm. our vision as we look forward becomes wider mm -hmm. as we as we accept that invitation you know mm -hmm. so there's nothing uh, to um, find it's just to be open to <laughs> uh, and Andre Nowen whose book we um, are referring to uh, because he wrote this book about his experience with the painting of the return of the prodigal by Rembrandt now and um in another of his works says that, uh, and he's quoting a ancient poet, it's not Kabir, but it's somebody like that, who says the purpose of a fish trap is to catch a trip fish. And after the fish is caught, you don't need the trap. Yeah. It's kind of the sim similar to the finger pointing to the moon. It's, the, it's not the finger that's important, but the moon. Right. And what now in quotes this ancient poet is saying is that the words, like in the parable, the words of the parable are used to convey an experience, an idea about the importance of coming home to the true self. Mm -hmm. And once the, the experience has been communicated, the words are no longer important. Mm -hmm. And now and says, I want to hang out with people who don't need the words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if that's what drew him ultimately to the community of Laarche, right? Where he was um, surrounded by people with mental and physical handicaps who developmentally didn't have the words to express themselves in the way that you and I are currently, right? In this kind of intellectual, mm -hmm. mindful way, but mm -hmm. could with their bodies express love, mm -hmm. <laughs> express openness. I ha As I was reading his book, I was reminded of a time when I lived in Boston, when I was at um, Harvard for grad school, I stayed on for a couple of years and taught in Boston. I was walking down, uh, was it, is it Commonwealth Avenue in, in, in downtown Boston with my then boyfriend? And we were kind of in the middle of some, are we gonna break up, are we not? We were in a really intense conversation and out of nowhere, it felt like out of nowhere, this young boy gets out of a car and, start, and starts running towards me. And I stopped in the middle of the sidewalk, just kind of surprised. And it was clear pretty quickly as he got closer that he had some kind of developmental um, disability. And, but he just ran up to me and flung his arms around me and hugged me and said, hi, 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 immediately. 
my angst, my worry about whatever conversation I was in with my then boyfriend just slipped away. This pure expression of emotion, unabashed love. And his father got out of the car on the other side and started apologizing immediately. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He just does that. And I was like, oh no, I needed that. That, that was perfect. No problem. You know, it, so there's, yeah. some, there's some veil that drops. And people that are guileless, that don't have the knowledge that they need something between them and the world, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. So, you know, I'll give you a bit of trivia. Um, Nowen spent the last years of his life at large, mm -hmm. which means the Ark, mm -hmm. and the collection at the Hermitage in St. Petersburg is referred to as the Ark. Because it preserved all of these precious uh, paintings and pieces of sculpture and artwork and all that sort of stuff. And it's really amazing. Right. We spent an entire day there mm. and probably saw 3% of what's, I mean, it's just it's overwhelming. It's no just. Doubt. Yeah. One of the one of the the guides that we had by this time on our trip to Russia, I'd gotten to know this particular guide really, really w well, uh, and and he said, you know, there's more stuff in the basement here than that's on display. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's true for all these collections. And actually, so on an art note, I think, you know, what's so interesting is that in the time of um, Rembrandt, um, all the great kind of Renaissance, pre-Renaissance artists, do you know who they used as models? Themselves. Only men could be models for artists. There were definitely some illicit non-sanctioned uh, drawings done of women from the figure of women. But when you look at paintings, so even Michelangelo's, um, it, the, the bodies are very masculine. They're very muscled. They're kind of uh, presented as these proto, perfect prototypes of the, of the human figure. But the models were almost 100% of the time male models. So even in trying to depict the feminine, the artist was guessing a little bit. So let's take Rembrandt's father and the prodigal son with the feminine and masculine hand. He was guessing a little bit at what, how to draw that because his only reference in terms of um, the ability to draw from life was from the male body. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So sometimes you'll see these women with like serious six packs. Well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what about all these uh, paintings by Ruben of women? Yeah, you know, I mean, well, let's look him up and see what he drew from because there are um, Michelangelo. So uh, it, actually he had permission, uh, un illegal permission from, uh, I believe it was monks who handled dead bodies at the time yeah, to I come in and, cut yeah, yeah. And, and, and explore cadavers. So he yeah. had an understanding of the body that not very many artists had at that time. Right. But, but there are very few artists who could draw from the reference of a live woman or, or a dead woman in Michelangelo's case, but yeah. So, so uh, another thing, and I don't know that I can just scratch the surface of this on Sunday, 
But I think another really major theme of the parable of the compassionate father and his two lost sons Mm -hmm. is that of radical inclusion. Yes, absolutely. The the embrace of the father on the younger son. Mm -hmm. And although in the parable, the elder son does not come into the house, we think that's who that is depicted in the painting. That's our, that's, yeah. Yeah, stern looking fellow. The desire of the compassionate father is to include everybody. That's right. That's right. And as you said last Sunday, that makes him somewhat foolish, but in the best possible way, you know, to be a fool for love, for inclusion, for this kind of net that falls over his beloved and mm-hmm. that that the you know i i was i think also about motherhood i think one of the things that often mothers who have one child and then maybe are expecting another feel a little angsty about is how will i ever love something as much as i love this child um mm-hmm. the swell of love that happened in my heart when i first held my first son was enormous and there is absolutely something magical and special about your firstborn And I like to say that with my second and third, I just grew another heart. The love is less, (laughs) you know, it's, it's no less. It, it, it includes all of them. And what this parable also says to me is that love does not look the same for everyone. He has to love his prodigal differently than he has to love the son who stayed. He has to find a way to be flexible and creative and expressive in his love in a way that each child needs. And I think that's true. Love is so Mm multidimensional. And and equity does not necessarily mean sameness. It just means that you love them each deeply with the same Mm -hmm. strength, but you might perform it in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like uh, I heard a colleague of mine describe having several children as um, when you have a child, it's like you take a candle and light the flame of that candle from the flame of another candle. It mm-hmm. doesn't diminish the first one. Yeah. And with each subsequent child, you just light another candle. The flames on all the others stay the same. That's right. That's exactly right. That's you know, exactly. another thought, and I'm, I'm kind of drifting here, but another thought is that the character in the parable uh, that we refer to as the elder chair child, the firstborn, he never really became a son. He always remained a servant. And I think that that's why he was angry. And the invitation of the father to come into the house, which, of course, is a metaphor for inclusion and community and celebration was that the son elected to not grow up to not maintain to not claim his position Mm. as a child or as a peer with the father and i think it's the hardest i think what we're talking about from a psychological perspective when you talk about leaving home that is one of the hardest psychological tasks in the world amen (laughs) and Achieving peership 
with the generation before you is equally difficult. Yeah. Because it's something you claim. It's not that we challenge or chastise or try to correct the previous generation. Uh, it's, it's something we move up into and claim. And I have, over the years that I have done personal counseling and direction, had so many people say to me in one way or the other, and, and usually very literally, I just wish my parents would see me for who I am. I think that is a bi-directional growth, necessary growth, when yep. the older generation can't see the adult child as a grown-up, as individuated. There's pain for the adult child who doesn't feel seen. And right. when in the adult child, and I have found myself in this position at different times and even adulthood, can revert back to the role that they played in the household as a child. Um, for me, and I remember you saying to me once that like, imagine a ladder, you know, this sort of, if there's three generations, there's mm -hmm. older generation, what would be my generation and then the children, the grandchildren. And, and for me, that work was, I need to come out of the middle and be alongside yep. of the, 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 the older or grandparent generation. And, and sometimes it's not the adult child that can't do that well. It's the parents that struggle with lessening their role as parents. And I think when we over identify, this is a huge reckoning and learning for me um, is when we over identify with the role of mother, with the role of parenting, then it's much harder to see our children mm -hmm. as complete selves. All right. And so it's kind of this tension of, of taking motherhood and parenting so seriously and, and honoring it with what it is, which to me is the most important job I have had to date. And knowing that beyond that, there's still someone that I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm deeper than there's a, there's the, the true self in me that is even beyond mother. Mm -hmm. And so that tension again of attending to this role as if it's the most important thing I could ever do and knowing that beyond that, there's something else. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to miss you Sunday again. Yeah, me too. But I know you got this, <laughs> but it is, I just want to say like, it's, it, you know, when I, and I know we got to go, but when we, when Josh and I got married, I remember your homily about the two oak trees. Yeah. Who, you know, I, I feel like we've, we, we have done that pretty well together over the last years, just sort of held each other in such great balance. So I'm really appreciative of that. And I am also positive that people love hearing from their beloved Bill Curley. <laughs> Well, I will see you the following Sunday, and I'll see you here next week. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. Bye.